God, you are so good. And Lord, we do thank you, Lord, for calling us first uh, unto you in Christ. Lord, redeeming us, saving us, reconciling us, making us whole again. And Lord, we thank you for calling us together to purpose in this world. God, I, I thank you for for the hope we have in Christ. I thank you that, that we can look to eternity without fear. But I also pray that, that we would look soberly at today. Lord, seeing that, yes, you have saved us, Lord, because of your unconditional love and because of the righteous work of Jesus. But yet you have also invited us into this mission in this world of proclaiming Christ, of loving in truth, loving you, loving people, God, and, and doing it as you lead us through your word by the Holy Spirit. So God, I give you this morning, I admit my shortcomings. God, I pray that and confess that if you, the Holy Spirit, does not come in and catch these words of flame in our hearts and our lives, that, that, that all this is for naught. And so, Lord, uh, do your work now through me, in spite of me, whatever it takes. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing through James today. Um, I think this is, I don't know what number week it is, fourth maybe. But, but uh, just kind of so far, just real quick to catch you up in case you missed anything. Uh, James is a letter from James to the early church. It's one of our earliest books of the New Testament. It's primary, primarily written to, uh, to Jewish Christians of the time. And they've been scattered because of the persecution that they're facing, because of the oppression that they're facing by an occupying Roman rule. And so, they, so they're living in a marginalized, oppressed um, society where they are lacking resource, lacking support. It's a, it's a hard life. So he's writing not only to encourage them, but to call them to the undivided, the undivided life that is in Christ. That yes, you still have purpose in the midst of this. You still have hope and your trials are actually good. And so, so far we've looked at trials. We've looked at um, and how, and how truth can be expressed in these difficult circumstances. So, so far, we just kind of in quick, in quick summary, we've seen that the trials and temptations are cause for joy, cause for rejoicing because of what they produce. We see that first they produce uh, a growing of our faith, a deepening and strengthening of our faith. They lead us to know God more intimately. They, they make us more like him and they equip us for his purpose in this world. So we can rejoice in that. Uh, so the question thus far has kind of been, how do you respond to trials in your life? So now James is transitioning us today to this question, how will you respond to God's truth? How will you respond to God's word in your life? So we're going to go ahead and uh, turn, if you haven't already, to James chapter 1, uh, verse 19. Um, you can use your Bible, your apps. If you need a Bible, there's one on the ground near you. Feel free to use that. And if you'd like to take it, that's our gift to you. It'll also be on the screen. And I think we also have a, a live version event. You can go to the version Bible app, go to the More, click Events, and it will pop up um, because of GPS. So feel free to use any of those ways to follow along today. Or if all that distracts you, just listen and have a good time. Okay? So we're going to start real quick. James starts out our text today, verse 19, with a strong exhortation, an imperative. And he gets your attention just by these first two words. He says, know this. He's like, know this. He just made this big statement about who God is and that all that is good comes from God. And we take comfort because God's character, because he is who he is. And all that he does is an expression of who he is and his sovereign love and holiness. And so then he says, know this. So he's like saying, tune in. Here we go, something big. So let's read verses 19 through 21. It says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So the first way we see here that we should respond to God's truth, to his word, is that we must humbly receive the word. We must humbly receive the word. Verse 19 here is focused on the implanted word that we'll come to in a moment in verse 21. So it's looking forward. The subject of this statement of of all that is going on here is looking forward to the word of God. It's pointing forward to that. It sets out to give us the proper posture in which we come to the word. And so he's saying, know this. And he says, this is how we should come to the word of God. So first off, he lays out this. He says, be quick to listen, let every person, he's speaking to those who are in Christ, let every person be quick to listen. So what, like, if you look at kind of the, the, the Greek here, the, the connotation is he's kind of saying, hurry up and listen. So it's like when I think about this and when I, and when I think of what he's calling us to, I think he's calling us to two things here. One is that we, we should get to the word quickly like we we should hunger and thirst for the word again and we'll talk about why in just a minute but just kind of foundationally here he's saying hey you need it so so get to it quickly get to it urgently and then when you get to it listen with urgency be quick to listen listen with urgency listen as if it matters listen as if your life depends on it listen to soak it up as fast as you can listen as if the clock is ticking right so that's what he's saying so he says hurry up and listen get it so get to it and then listen to it Listen with urgency. And then he goes on as he, as he again, as, a, as he is adjusting our posture. He says, so be quick to listen. And then he says, to be, he says, and then slow to speak and slow to anger. Slow to speak and slow to anger. What is the posture in which he's calling us to here? He's calling us to humility as we approach the word of God. So he's saying, hey, get to it quickly because it matters, because you need it. And then humble yourselves as you come to the word of God, because it is his truth. We come to the word all too often without any real interest in what it says, either because it's, it's duty and we're doing it to kind of check the box and we're out of guilt or because we just kind of want the nugget. We want that thing that's going to kind of be the adrenaline shot of the day or the thing that we can use to justify our perspective. I mean, how often do we do that? How often do we come to the Word of God to justify our actions instead of surrendering our actions? Instead of having our actions made clear to us as opposed to saying, this is what I want my life to be. Now, how can I get the Word of God to actually support what I want? It's the way I used to write research papers in college. It worked for me in college, but it's bad here. I would would write as if I was an expert, and then I would go find sources that supported me. I'm sure that's the way we do it in the doctoral program, right? Cammie and Will? Perfect, right? That's how it works, I think. I think that's what you're supposed to do. But, but no, I mean, how often do we do that? Go, we come to God and we say, here's my understanding, God. Now, how can I get your word to support what I think? As opposed to looking at it as, as the authoritative living word of God and saying, how does this inform my life? How should this conform me? How should this transform me? It's like... It's like the conversation or argument that you're in when all you're doing is formulating your own thoughts the whole time the other person is talking and you just can't wait to get your turn. Again, that's how we often, when we are not slow to speak, when we're not humble, that's, that's the posture, that's the way in which we come to the Word. It's like, okay, okay, God, hurry up, because here's what I have to say. Hurry up, here's my understanding. Okay, now you figure out how to make it work for me. So we, we assume this posture that we know better and we cherry-pick verses that apply or you know and we just kind of work around it 
You know, it's interesting, the heart of man has not changed. And think about who James is writing to here. He's writing to Jewish Christians. He's writing to the people of Israel, the promised people of God, the God that the covenant was delivered to, that God looked at them and said, he says, I am your God, you will be my people. Through you a multitude will be blessed. That's the people of Israel. That is who James is talking to here. And he's calling them out of their historic pattern. He's calling them out of their historic posture. And without going to all through all the Old Testament, just in summary, what the people of Israel had done over and over again as they were set apart by God to be His promised people to deliver the, the truth of God to the world for God's glory and for the, so that the whole world could be blessed. What did they do? Over and over again, over and over again, they denied the truth of God. They denied the, the, the law of God. They denied their own identity. They acted as if they were not God's chosen people. Over and over and over again. So he's calling them out of their pattern. He's like, hey, don't, don't, this is what it's, this is the way it's always been. God has promised so much more. And so the people of Israel, the people of the Old Testament have been resisting the word all along through, through the prophets, and they've been living in rebellion. We see it perpetuated through us. We see it all throughout the New Testament and Jesus' teaching, um, you know, all the, you know, through, through all of Paul's teaching here in James. We're seeing the same thing. The heart of man has not changed. It's a hard foe to contend with we like to assert our own authority so we have to come humbly to the word of god we must be slow to speak as we humbly come we need a high view of god's word do we believe it to be from him do we know that it is his authoritative word the word that speaks his character his love his will for us knowing that all things work for the good of those who love him. Again, for his purpose, his glory in our lives. Do we have a high view of his word? Do we see it as the word of life? He's calling us to this. So when it says to be slow to anger, I think about, again, how, when, we are, when we aren't humble and we think about the world around us as we come to God's word, we're often wanting to kind of, kind of get our arsenal. We're wanting to kind of get our, our, our you know, load our our. <laughs> Oh, that's such a church thing I'm about to say, like a righteous weapon, like to, to, to like, <laughs> sorry, Jacob, I, I, I waited till he took a sip of water to say it, I knew that it would get him, um, but, but that's kind of how we come, and we're like, okay, ooh, this, I can't wait to tell so-and-so this, they, it's really going to, it's going to get them, you know, but, but again, like, so to, to think about being slow to speak, slow to anger, our anger reflects our desire to judge right and wrong. Now, the Holy Spirit and the truth of God has given us the ability to, to, the ability to discern right and wrong. And we can look at the fruit of people's lives and in the world, and we can see if there is an honoring of God or not. But yet, we are never to sit in the judgment seat. We are, that is the place for the Lord to sit. So when, when we act out in our anger, when our anger rises and our righteousness is asserted, we, we show that we are not submitting to the authority of God. We can't come to the Word to justify our judgmental position of wrath. Instead, we must allow the Word to, to judge our position and to trust those around us to, to, God's, to God's sovereign rule and work. God's Word expresses His perfect righteousness. Our anger leads to self-righteousness, and our self-righteousness leads to destructive wrath. If we act out in our judgment, it will always bring wrath. It will always bring confusion. It will always bring division. But man, when, when, we, when we submit ourselves to the truth of God, to the authority of God, and we go forward saying, this is God's word, this is, this is his place, 
and we submit ourselves to that, then God expresses his perfect righteousness and his judgment is always meant to reveal his glory and achieve his work of redemption in this world as people come to him. Wrath is a whole other subject. Maybe that's another time. But we must not assert our righteousness over God's as we come to his word. So we must come humbly. So James says, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, slow to anger. Now he shows us actually what that looks like, how that is lived out, how that's carried out in us. In verse 21, it says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This word put away here, literally translated, communicates this idea of taking off a garment. It is the shedding of, of something that is on you. For those who are estranged from Christ or those who are living as we are, we, we are wearing the world. We are wearing the world. We are wearing the things of the world. We are finding our value in what culture says value is. We are, we are pursuing the temporal satisfactions. We are wearing the world. All the affections that, 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 that sway us, that distract us, that pull us away from our ultimate affection of God. Being worshipers of God, that's what we call idolatry, and it is, it is wearing this, this wickedness and, and, and filthiness. And again, we, we read that, and we, and we want to kind of limit that to the worst things. Just to be clear here, what we're talking about is anything less than God's holiness, anything less than God's, than God's call on your life, God's expectation for you who is someone that has been reconciled, restored, renewed. That's, that's, that's what we're seeing here. So it's saying anything less is to put on the filthiness, the rampant wickedness of this word. We don't like that because it puts us in a category we're not comfortable with because often we live by comparison as opposed to, to by God's charge, by God's expectation so it's saying to take off what you wear there's so many influences that we cling to over the truth of the word james is telling us that in humbly receiving the word we lay down our understandings our claim to rightness and wisdom and cling to the truth of god because we have come to know that it is better so as we humbly receive the word, we admit that our understanding is always deepening as we are taken deeper into the mysteries of God. And we have the opportunity in that moment to respond in humble, in humble obedience every time. What we often do is come to the word and try to figure out how to get around a command or apply it as, as minimally as possible. thinking about that with the right view of the word, with the right view of what it is, that again, it is, it is the heart of God, the character of God expressed for us, lived out in Christ, given in Christ. Why would you want to? Why would we want to minimize it? Why would we want to dance around it? If we, again, what James is saying here is that it is the best thing going for you. You know, yes, it's hard and it seems like it's not worth it, but it actually is because it is from God. And all that is from God is, from, is good. Remember the end that we just ended with last week of verses 17 and 18. All that is good in this world comes from above and from our Father of lights. So humbly receiving the word is to completely obey and to obey right away. 
And then he says to receive with meekness the implanted word. Right? This is rich. So let's, let's make sure to catch this whole picture. Do you get what James is saying here? This is great news. There's, there's a strong claim being made here on you that is comforting. It is ultimately comforting. To help us see this, let's turn to, to Jeremiah, one of our Old Testament prophets, and Ezekiel as well to truly understand what James is talking about when he says this and receiving with meekness this implanted word. Jeremiah is a prophet that was, that was I mean, he, he was crying out to just an unrepentant people. Judgment was coming and he just wanted them to turn and they just couldn't. They couldn't. Here we pick up Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. That's the new covenant coming in Christ with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah tells us that through Jesus, this coming in the new covenant, the giving of the new covenant, God writes the law on our hearts, on the hearts of his people, on those who have acknowledged, acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah and have been adopted in as sons and daughters. God writes the law on our hearts. Let's continue to Ezekiel. We'll, come, we'll, we'll wrap this We'll put a bow on this after Ezekiel. 36, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. It says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. All right. So what are we saying there? Why do we pull those two in to help us understand what it is to have the implanted word in us? Let me summarize. Again, upon us entering into fellowship with God the Father through Jesus, God puts the law on our hearts. He puts it on our hearts. It is Again, remember, we're taking off. Now we are putting on. He, puts, he does the work of putting the law, His truth, His word on our hearts. And He puts Himself, his, He puts the Spirit in our hearts. So the law is written on our hearts. The Spirit is written in our hearts. And the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, moves us to the way of life he's called us to not just but 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 also moves us to the life that is that is full the life that is abundant and everlasting the life that is that is actually experiencing the promise that God brings the promise he's talking about the promise that makes it worth it this is what James is teaching us about but, but what does he mean to be implanted means that the word has actually become a part of us it is not just on us. It's a part of us. It, again, it infiltrates all that we are. The, the Word is required for us to actually have life. Just as much as we need blood coursing through our hearts to sustain physical life, the Christ followers, all of creation, needs the Word of God coursing through their hearts to experience 
the life that God has promised. So yes, let us strive to put our faith into action. Let us Just simple, simple obedience. Let us strive to put our faith into action. But realizing that God has put the Word in our hearts and the Spirit in our hearts to achieve that work. He has done the work. He has put in us all that we need to actually, to actually see this become reality. That's the comfort. He hasn't left it to us. He has done the work in us that our, our lives will be aimed toward Him. So we must humbly receive His Word and let it overtake our lives. Do you hunger and strive to receive the Word of God humbly? Is your whole life humbly submitted to it? Which affections in your life battle against that? Which affections do you feed over feeding this, this fellowship of God in the Word? So James is building some momentum here. He's, kind of, he's, got, he's got the ball rolling. He's got, we're, we're moving downhill. So let's just kind of keep following that direction as we pick up in verse 22 through 25. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we're going to come back to verse 22 uh, in just a moment. Um, but first, we want to see our second response to the Word as we look at verses 23 through 25. We must remember the Word constantly. So we must receive it humbly. We must remember the Word constantly. Remember, He has just finished calling us to receive this implanted Word. Again, it's a picture of this all-encompassing and overwhelming work of the Word of God in us through Jesus. James now moves to a ludicrous illustration to make his point even clearer. I mean, it, it is ludicrous. Is it possible for a normal, healthy person to look in the mirror and then the moment that they turn around, forget what they look like? No. It's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's not going to happen. A healthy, a normal, healthy person, that's not going to happen. So this is what James is saying. He's saying that although we have a tendency to live this way, we must not. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Is what it, just as much as that's insane, it doesn't make sense for, for us to treat the Word of God that way. If it is what it is, which it is, right? If it is what it is, which it is. He's saying the Word has been implanted in you. It informs all that you are and all that we know. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's challenging for me. I mean, I, I, I assume it's challenging for some of you. But, but to be really honest with ourselves, how often do we come together in spaces like this and encounter the Word of God, but barely make it to our car or, or at best into the afternoon before we start returning to the ways of the world, putting on the hopes of the world, putting on the, the, the pursuits of the world? The language James uses here is strong. He's saying we are to look intently at the Word. One commentator pointed out that, that looking intently can be used to refer to stooping down and looking closely at something. I mean, examining, like getting in there. This made me think of a, a couple of pictures I had of Gavin. 
And it's like when a, a child, what's he doing? Here's a little roly-poly. He's looking intently. He got down. He wanted to see. Let's go back to the other one. I love it. Like he, he, had, it, he had like it corralled. So he has his hands on the ground like this. And he's got his eye like this, and he's just tracking it wherever it goes. Go back to the other one. I mean, that's looking intently. That's just the, that's curiosity. That's, that's, that's a desire for discovery. That's the word picture here. He's saying, look intently. Yes, he speaks those look intently words in the, in the illustration of, of how a person looks in the mirror, but he's, the illustration is only to point, to point out how we are to approach the Word of God. We are to stoop down, get as close as we can to absorb every little... I mean, I mean, he was looking at the legs and the folds in the body as Gavin was looking at this little roly-poly, and then he would touch it and watch how it rolled up, and then he would just sit there and wait, and then it would open back up. And I mean, it was just... That's how we are to be, this, this, this whimsy, this curiosity, and this hunger for discovery. It carries the weight of penetrating absorption. And so, I mean, again, let's ask ourselves some hard questions. Because I believe that the word is all that James is laying it out to be here. It is life. What space does the word of God occupy in your life? I mean, do you, do you take moments to reflect? Does it infiltrate your conversations with, with other believers, other Christ followers? Do you prioritize time to commune with God in the Word? And again, this sounds, I'm not trying to heap on guilt. This is where we take it. We bring guilt into this. This is an invitation. Again, remember what the Word is. It's fellowship. It's relationship. It's transformational. And God has invited us in. And so it's just, hey, have we recognized the beautiful gift of God's given Word? Do we prioritize time for that? Because we've been awoken, awoken to the value, to the, to, to the gift that it is. I, I love how Deuteronomy calls us to a life where the Word of God is simply just a part of it. Let's look at this description in Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Did that leave anything out? I don't think it did. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as, as frontlets between your eyes. Just saying that like should always be before you. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And let me just tell you, as, as the fellowship of God, as a people, as, as a people called together, the greatest gift we can give one another is exhorting the Word of God to each other. As God, as God transforms us, as He implants His Word more and more in us, as, as we come to understand His truths deeper, one of the greatest gifts we can give one another is actually sharing those things, calling each other to that, whether it's a rebuke the Lord brought to us or, a, or this, just this victory, this, this moment of victory, like sharing those things. And we talk a lot about equipping and disciple-making. And it's so, it's so kind of ambiguous at times. This is the core of it. This is the core of it right here. 
the church. We are given the word for God's glory and his purpose in this world. But yet also as we commune together and share life together, that is actually the work of equipping and building up. Yes, we do it through intentional and strategic ways. But man, look at this beautiful picture here of it just, it just taking over your life and it just being natural. It's not a quota that you meet. Did I talk about the word long enough today? Did we mention Jesus enough times? Have I, have I, have I memorized enough verses today? Yes, let's work to memorize scripture and let's, let's be intentional. But yet it's just this, has it overtaken you to the point that it has changed you and then you are just enthusiastic to invite others in. As we have guys step up to, to teach, like just last week, Caleb and I, we were talking, it was his first time to ever teach on a, in, in, a, in this kind of setting. He's led small groups. He taught on our Thursdays. He, he is obviously a good teacher. He did an amazing job. But we were talking, and he was stressed beforehand. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, are you excited to share what the Lord has done in you? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right, then. Let's just share that. And, and that's, that's where we can all come to. As opposed to making it something else, it is the fact that we have experienced the transforming work of God through Christ and His Word and, we, and then we're called to actually impart that. When I talked about not just being involved, but being a part, again, that's a picture of it. Every single person who is a Christ follower has that opportunity and responsibility to be a part of building up the body of Christ. Teaching, we do it through, not through some, just some formula, through, so through some laid out path. Yes, we may come up with that, but it is through just this expression. Beautiful. I pray that we would be a people that value the Word of God. It's relational and transformational, as I just said. Let us call each other to it. Let us teach it to one another. Let us memorize it. Let us humbly receive it. So that's where we're at so far. We've humbly received the Word and live to constantly remember it. Let's come back to verse 22 for our final response to the truth of God to his word. Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If I were to title this sermon, which I guess I am informally doing these days, but I, I don't think of it that way, but it would be don't forget the and. Don't forget the and. Here in verse 22, it says, be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers and hearers of the word. When we, are, when we are not doers, we deceive ourselves is what it's saying. So our final response is this. We must obey the word wholeheartedly. Do you remember one of the thesis statements from, from, from when we kicked James off? We said one of the things that James, he's proclaiming that in Christ we are no longer divided. We are no longer at odds. We have been restored and reconciled. First off, in our relationship to God. Secondly, in our relationship to self. Thirdly, in our relationship to each other. And fourthly, our relationship to all of creation. But he's calling, this is once again, calling us back to that undivided life. He's saying, Jesus did the work of reconciling, of making you whole. I want to show you how to live out this wholeness. It's an expression of identity. It's just like the Sermon on the Mount the Sermon on the Mount is all through the book of James. And I would say verse 22 is the theme verse for the entire book of James. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Here we go. The word of God evokes action. It is action-oriented. 
just just the teaching of Jesus. I was reading this week and, and doing some some research, and and there's a few that are you know way more uh, studious and diligent than I that have gone through and read over the Gospels a hundred times, and they and they've written down every every command of Jesus, and the smallest number of you. And, the, and these are not like. These are the perpetual commands. These aren't some, some circumstance-specific command that, that Jesus gave to someone that only applied in that moment. These are the commands that perpetuate through all, the, through all time for all those who call on Christ. The smallest number of commands I saw from Jesus himself was just over 100. Uh, and, and the range typically ran of like unique commands. Now, this does not count like ones that were repeated over and over again through all the Gospels, but the unique commands that the typical range was between 100 and 150. Uh, John Piper, being John Piper, was like, there's over 500 of them. And so he, he's able to read the word in a way we're not. Um, but, but we see that the word of God, the teaching of Jesus, if we just want to make it about Jesus, it evokes action. And here's a hard, here's, here's a kind of a truth question for us. Can we really say we believe the Word of God if we do not act upon what it commands in our lives? We'll get more into what saving faith is uh, in the weeks to come. But can we agree that to deny the Word is to deny Jesus? And let's just take it all the way there. It's relational. To love Jesus is to love the Word. So if you just want to be about Jesus, and that's your claim, then you've got to be about the Word. To be a follower of Christ is to be a follower of the Word. To love Jesus is to love the Word and keep its commandments. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. 1 John 2, 4, Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. Sobering. I know that, and we just, we want to wear it as a weight. Yes, we're, and we need to fill the, 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 the enormity of this call. But again, remember that he wrote the word on our hearts and put the spirit in our hearts in order to empower our lives to actually see this happen. So to follow Jesus is to obey his commands given in his word. So before we cry legalism too much, let's look at 25. It says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We, we love the truth that Jesus saves and loves us and that he did that because of who he is instead of what we are or what we've done. And we should. Like, that's comforting. It's, it's life-giving. It gives us courage. And it's, it is liberating. But when we hear this, we say that that contradicts grace to require when, when something's required of us. We're like, no, that's not what it's supposed to be. You can't, we can't. But it's clear there is something required of us. We're looking into the perfect law, the law of liberty. That's the law of Jesus. 
Again, the old law, it did lead to works. You, you, had to, uh, you had to hold to all of the laws and the commands and the ordinances, and you had to follow the sacrificial system in order to be right before God, and it had to be done over and over again, and you had a representative of a high priest, and, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't attainable. But the law of liberty, the one that brings true freedom, is the law of Jesus, the word of Jesus, who came and satisfied all of our righteous requirements in his life, in his teaching, and in his death, he atoned. And his righteousness is made ours. So to look into the law of liberty is to first, again, see the freedom that is there, to see the new identity. He's drawing on the concept he presented earlier with the man looking in the mirror. He's saying, you are so utterly changed. You are so utterly different than what you were because, because what was once dead is now alive. What was once a slave is now free. What was, what was once a rebel and at odds is now reconciled. You're a new creation. To know the new law of liberty is to know Christ. To know Christ is to know freedom. To know Christ is to have the Word and the Spirit in you overtaking you, leading you, changing you, freeing you. Again, let me just say it. You have been utterly changed and your purpose restored. So it is all about living out who you are. You've been redeemed, made free, made whole in Christ, and his work and his life and death and resurrection is complete. The blessed life here on earth comes from being hearers and doers of the word. Our eternity is secured in Christ, our eternal life, our eternal hope. But man, this life that is to be lived here the blessed life is only in being hearers and doers of the word. It is, a very, it is the very expression of our whole identity. Humbly receive, constantly remember, wholeheartedly obey the word of God. I close with this question. How would you in your life be different if you studied memorized, got down close and absorbed with all that you could, taught, applied, and obeyed every command of Jesus. How would you, how would your life be different? Let me ask that same question about the world around you. How would the world around you be different if you studied, memorized, got down on your knees as close as you could and absorbed with all that you could? with urgency and expectancy and taught and applied and obeyed every command of Jesus. I want to encourage you to pray and meditate on that question. To come to the Word this week and say, God, that's a big question. And I, and I, and I, I, I sense some implications of it, but, but help me understand. Help me see. Help me fall in love with your Word all the more because that is falling in love with Jesus. What an overwhelming and inspiring thought. So I know this week is like, today is like this mixed bag of like, like this really heavy weight because it's like so far over our heads and like so far over our, our, the grasp of our hands. But I also pray at the same time that it is also just this lift and this, this liberation because, again, it is an invitation to a transformational relational exchange through His Word. So... We're going to leave the tension there. Trust the Lord to work. 
Let's, let's discourse through this together. Let's be prayerful. Let's bring all of our understandings to the word. Let's see what happens. All right, let me pray. God, you are so good. And I have to confess, Lord, I, I mean, I know that I just said it, but I feel such a tension in teaching this. And I think, it, I know it's because of my own, my own resistance, God. I, I just pray for myself and, and for those in here, God, that we would, we would fall in love with Jesus more every day. And that would happen through, Lord, your work through the word of truth and through, through the leading of, your Holy, of you, the Holy Spirit, God. I pray that it would be something that, that, we, that we make time for. The word would be, a, again, just a part of who we are. Lord, it says it's able to save our souls. We know that that's achieved in the atoning work of Christ. I just pray, Lord, that our lives would be a very clear expression of your truth lived out. So we continue to respond in communion, God. Speak to us, lead us. Let us revel in the invitation of relationship with you that you've given in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.